0: Hey, hello, rumors. Welcome to the Rumors Book Club. This is Kyle here, and I'm with my wife, Big Inhale, and co host, Christine. And we are going to be talking about the book Contiki, which we read this month. Hopefully, you read it too.
1: There will be spoilers.
0: Okay, spoilers abound.
1: Yeah, so this is designed to be listened to after you've read the book. We're actually going to try and include some perspectives from people that we know that have joined the book club and that have read the book. So those will be sprinkled in too.
2: Hi, Mom. Yes, hello. Okay, do I have your consent to record? Yes, you you can record.
0: Well, the first question we got from someone was... Why the hell are you doing a book club? <laughs> yeah, what is this? And for me, I think it's to get reacquainted with the concept of reading. Hopefully, that sparks some imagination or creativity. Or yeah.
1: what I was hoping for um, by doing this is to kind of create a community around this virtual voyages that we can all kind of take through reading especially during this time where we're staying at home and we're staying local so to read a story like this one that takes place on the pacific ocean from south america to polynesia it really does take you somewhere very different from where we are
0: yeah if people give their comments that'd be great
1: yeah so let's get to it
0: the book we read this month is called Kantiki. It's about six Norwegians or Scandinavian guys. Five
1: Norwegians and one
0: Swede. Five Norwegians and one Swede who floated/slash sailed across the Pacific from Peru to Polynesia on a balsa wood raft that was fashioned after the style of like what five hundred the year five hundred BC. Oh, I don't 80? know years, but I it was remember. supposed
1: to be done traditionally. So they didn't use any iron or nails or other type of fasteners like that. They used hemp rope and uh, the balsa
0: wood. And that's the story. That's the book we read. So who was on this raft, Kyle? I don't really know. <laughs> I know the... <laughs> I, I can't... I. They never broke down the characters.
1: They didn't really do. Every
0: once in a while, they'd mention, like, this dude navigates, or this dude was on the steering, or this dude fell off the boat. And I was like, I don't know who anyone is. It was hard
1: to keep track, because they all had these Norwegian names. Funny (laughs) names. And they didn't really have backstories much. They just kind of appeared and were suddenly part of the crew.
0: Yeah, I wonder if that's because the author, how do you even pronounce his name? Thor? Thor. Thor Thor. Heyerdahl. I'm curious if because he has a background in science, he didn't really care about the characters necessarily or what their stories is. He wasn't writing it necessarily for narrative or entertainment purposes. It was more to tell the story of Science.
1: Yeah, I think it definitely wasn't. It wasn't about the crew, but as a reader, you wanted to kind of understand them more.
0: Yeah, I I would have loved to have known a little bit more well, about who these dudes were. Kyle, let me tell you. Oh, all right.
1: I looked into it.
0: Oh,
2: there's a whole museum
1: Give dedicated me the dirty to dirty secrets this, yeah. on these guys. Well, I don't have dirty secrets. Just short synopsis here. Knut Hogland, he was the telegraph operator. He was a war hero and he ended up being the last surviving crew member. He died in December 2009. Oh, wow. Yeah. Banked-
0: Spoiler alert.
1: <laughs> Banked Danielson.
0: Bent, I think. Okay. I had a comedian friend. He's still alive, too, but uh, his name is Bent and it's spelled the same way.
1: Okay. So, Bent, then, he was an anthropologist. He was the only one who spoke Spanish, and if you've been paying attention, they left from Peru. Um, they flew down to Ecuador for first, some of them. So, he was the only one who actually spoke the language of the place where they were building the raft and taking off from, which is kind of crazy. Eric Hesselberg, he was the navigator. He had an arts education. He painted what became the very iconic sale of the Contiki. A
0: <laughs> big contribution.
1: <laughs> yeah. And he was a close childhood friend of Thor. So and that was his specialty that's why he got invited his specialty was kind of navigation he was the only trained sailor the only member with any type of maritime experience but he was really an artist and there's even this great sound clip maybe you'll put it in kyle
0: i prefer to sit on a raft and use my knife wood wood carving and draw because it was so far away from the noisy world, and so nice and peaceful out in the ocean. Otherwise, it was my job to get out the position and plot it on
2: the map every day.
1: We also had Torstein Rob. He was another one of the telegraph operators, and also a war veteran. And Herman Watzinger. Uh, they met. Uh, Thor and Herman met by mere coincidence in New York, and uh, Herman ended up becoming second in command uh he was an engineer in thermodynamics studying uh cooling technology so that
0: very helpful is not
1: helpful at all
0: Uh,
2: okay
1: he almost died he was the one that fell off the raft and almost died (laughs)
2: like i said i wouldn't have gone i don't know what my skill would have been fishing they didn't need this fishing skill because the fish jumped into the boat
0: and let's not forget Lolita. I forget her name,
1: but the there was a
2: parrot. And I thought it was very really sad that the par- that the parrot died.
1: The parrot died. There was also a crab that they named. I don't know if you caught oh, that. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, the crab held a pretty big role in the <laughs> story. Sounds
1: like we're talking about the Little Mermaid now. Johannes. They I mean this is what you do when you're on a raft out at sea is It'd
0: go insane.
1: You create a little community out of everything that has a life around you, I guess.
0: Well, and it also had some human traits in that it would come out for food, or maybe pet traits. You're right. In that it would come out for food and chill. And I
1: don't they it seemed kind of random, this crew.
0: It seemed totally random, but I think that's bound to happen with this idea. The idea to build a giant raft and float across the Pacific, you're not going to get a bunch of people that are thinking, I really want to do this. It's going to be a bunch of randos.
1: Oh, yeah. It's going to be randos. I mean, okay, so this was what the author, Thor, sent to Torstein to, I guess, invite him. Uh, This was the telegraph he sent i Am going to cross Pacific on a wooden raft to support a theory that the South Sea Islands were peopled from Peru. Will you come? I guarantee nothing but a free trip to Peru and the South Sea Islands and back, but you will find good use for your technical abilities on the voyage. Reply at once. And then this guy, the next day, sent a telegraph. It just said, coming. Down. Torsten. (laughs) That was it!
0: coming coming i'm on my way (laughs) honey i'll be back
1: (laughs) like did i guess these people really had nothing else going on it
0: was well he did give him the temptation of being able to use his technical skills is that what motivates people i don't the the desire to be wanted maybe useful but okay
1: just to put it in a little bit more historical context here this was 1946 this was after the second world war as i'd mentioned a couple of these guys were veterans i think i think there was an unspoken kind of desire among all of them just to get away from the world
0: oh as in things were probably a little stressful from maybe, say, like 1938
1: to 1945. Right. I mean, they could have had freaking PSD. They're PTSD.
0: Like, PS... Yeah. PSD is a, uh... Pacific Standard. I believe it's the ending of a Photoshop file. <laughs> <laughs> a dot PSD.
1: Okay. PTSD. Some of them were veterans. I think they were just trying to get away from the world. They wanted to run away from it all for a bit and reset.
0: Yeah, sometimes you need a break.
1: Yeah. Uh, What about the setting?
0: The majority of it takes place on the Pacific, but some of it took place in the places where they were preparing for the journey, which was like the first three chapters. It
1: It was a big chunk of this book was the preparation.
0: What struck me about the preparation is that it's so hard to do something like this. Yeah. It's just, it's so difficult. Like, why is it so hard to float across the Pacific on a bunch of logs? You wouldn't think it'd be so hard. But they had to get, I guess they had to get funding. There was like a UN ambassador involved. Then when they were going to Peru, they couldn't find the logs. It was the rainy season. Mm -hmm. Then even finding a place. I thought it was a little ridiculous when they had to find a place in the, I don't know, Peruvian Naval Yard Mm -hmm. to build the raft. Because his fear was that people were going to be flocking to this raft. (laughs) I was like, are you out of your mind? Nobody
1: cares. (laughs) You can build your balsa wood raft in peace,
0: but I think he was worried people were going to come steal parts of it.
1: When you read the when you read the book, it's like okay, there's this raft, and I guess in my mind I picture something much smaller than what it actually was. If it was you're a,
0: anything like me, you picture Castaway,
1: right? Right, like a like a lifeboat sized raft, Right. but this was a this was a vessel.
0: Yeah, when he was talking about how long it is, I think he said it was 45 feet from the the tip, which sounded like a, it stuck out a little further than like the main.
1: Okay, we're talking about the bow and the, ster- the stern, the stern the is the back.
0: Okay, the bow. It sounded like there were two and maybe I imagine this. This is the movie I was making <laughs> up in my head. But it sounded like there were two longer pieces that or a few longer pieces that came out in the middle and then some shorter pieces after that. When he was talking about it, I think he said 45 feet. And I thought, oh, that's about the length of our cabin. Oh. So I was thinking, okay, this is about the yeah. size of a small house.
1: Well, and they did have a hut right. on they top. Right, they had a
0: hut where six guys bamboo could hut. not comfortably sleep.
1: Right, they were pretty cramped, but it it was there. So it was like this mini mini house on a raft. Right.
0: Anyway, getting back to the preparation, it just struck me as like, it sounds easy. Just strap a bunch of logs together. And start floating.
1: Well, I wasn't expecting anything about the preparation. I guess with an adventure story, I was thinking like, okay, it would start on day one of leaving the port, but there was six, I think six months of preparation of all the buildup. And it makes sense because, you know, when you're reading a story like this, that's kind of a crazy, uh, you know, a crazy premise to begin with. You think to yourself, why? And I think that the past or the the lead up the preparation of the six months was all about the why
0: a lot of it was about the why do you want to talk about the why
1: yeah let's talk about the why okay
0: let's talk about the why well he had a theory that people populated the polynesian islands from peru and that's why he wanted to prove it no everyone else thought the polynesian islands were populated from asia and he disagreed based off of similar statues and clouds moving yeah. east to west or west to east yeah the wind east to west yeah the trade winds so he looked at those two things he
1: really thought about this but so he wrote this whole thesis and he presented it to all these people and he they all laughed in his face appropriately yeah, they all laughed in his face. No way, we're not going to publish this. You're not going to get any money. So he said, "It's easier to interest people in an expedition than in an unread manuscript."
0: Yeah, of course.
1: And that's so true. And it's to this so much
0: more entertaining
1: to this day. Can you think of any the names of any anthropologist,
0: any ethnologist? Leaky. There was a leaky. A leaky. Faucet? Yeah, there was leaky. F- no leaky found. <laughs> Um, a skull in Africa, I believe. Okay, wow, well, proved me wrong. But I think <laughs> I don't
1: know Leaky's first name. Generally, I mean, this is a much easier. It it has like a stronger power to capture people's imagination, and again, mm-hmm. especially at this time, because apparently, this was really the first time after World War II when there was an adventure for adventure's sake,
0: pretty much. Well, uh, geez, I would think all of World War II was a bit of an adventure in itself But, uh, but like a, a sur- peacetime mm-hmm. adventure right. I kind of feel like other than space and deep sea There's not many other things to explore on the surface
3: Right. So of Earth There are definitely places that haven't been explored very well I also love the idea of like exploring places that just are not familiar to yourself. I've been stuck here at my, uh, in my neighborhood basically for the last two months. And, um, I haven't really had places to go to, but I've been, I have been going out on walks. And, uh, I have, because I've just sort of wandering and not with any sort of destination or purpose. I've seen things and found places in my neighborhood that I like I've never seen before. And I've lived here on and off for a long time.
1: What makes and I think this is something we'll figure out as we continue to read these books. But what is it that makes an adventure an adventure?
2: Risk is somewhat of a prerequisite to be calling it an adventure. You have to have be putting yourself out there a little bit and taking a little bit of a risk to make it an adventure. I think an adventure has to be sort of nerve-wracking, like you might not make it.
1: We talked about danger. You know, It could be in the form of predators, um, weather, bad weather in this case. Definitely the unknown. So starting out on this adventure, they didn't know if it was even possible to make it. Well, no, I would say no one knew if it was possible to make it from Peru to um, the Polynesian Islands, but I think Thor would say he knew.
0: Purely confident.
1: But I think the unknown and also kind of being the first person or, you know, in theory, the first person in modern times to do this.
0: I don't know if that's required for an adventure because... You can do the same thing that tons of other people have done, but it's unique to you. And that's, that's what makes true. it an adventure. Like when we moved to California, I wouldn't say we had like a crazy adventure or anything. We certainly weren't the first people to do it. Certainly but not. for us, it was exciting and something new. And we were seeing a bunch of new things for and together, too. So that's true. I think adventure can be a little looser of a term.
1: Yes, but book-worthy adventure?
0: Well, book-worthy, something has to happen. <laughs> yeah,
1: something's got to happen. And something, you know, things did happen in this book. Well, they made it. Well, yeah, but in between leaving Callao, the port in Peru where they left, and arriving, well, let's just, you know, pull the curtain back. They arrived. They made it. Yes. All six of them made it. The parrot died.
2: And I thought it was very really sad that the that the parrot died. We don't know about the crab.
1: The, the crab probably no. The crab
0: made it. They mentioned it.
2: Oh. Um, they mentioned
0: it towards. I think when they shipwrecked at the end, mm-hmm. I think they mentioned that the crab fell off at that point. But oh, crabs right. are crabs are water dwellers, so it was probably fine. <laughs> right. There's a you got to see you got to read the sequel about the crab.
1: Kontiki <laughs> <laughs> too. Johannes lives. <laughs> But there was there was there were trials and tribulations, I guess you could say on the water, but something, and we'll get to those, but I think something that struck me about the book is that it was kind of
0: easy, yeah, I thought it was a little way too easy for them, but the big overwhelming thing for me is the environment that they were in because. What separates them from a high potential of death is just these little logs, relatively small logs. So they're in inches- They were
1: big, lo- they were ginormous logs. Yeah,
0: yeah. But I mean, in re- compared to an a oh, ocean liner right. okay. or something, they're right on the water. So they're potentially with sharks or drowning or any other danger from the bluefish, I think they were called, or dolphin Sharks? Fish. I said sharks, whales, whales, whale yes. shark. You don't, We don't have to name all the dangers of the ocean,
1: but they're squid. Oh, they were very afraid of the squid.
0: They're inches from their death the entire time, and it's basically this like horizontal plane of two very separate worlds. Where if they fall in that world, they can't breathe water, and if the fish land <laughs> on their world. They, they have dinner and, oh. the, and yeah, they eat dinner. The, yeah, the fish die if they end up on the raft.
1: Yeah, that so was pretty like, crazy. They had a lot of flying fish. Apparently. All you have
0: to do is stay on the raft and there's a decent chance that you'll live. And that that just struck me as crazy. And maybe part of that is because I can't swim. Yeah, but <laughs> this
1: what I mean. Was this whole book terrifying for you
0: because not at all. I feel okay on boats. <laughs>
1: you were Just reading don't it on fall land. <laughs> off.
0: Yeah, I read the entire book on land. <laughs>
1: <laughs> to that point about the the very thin line between kind of life and death or safety and danger, there was uh, this part here where they were pretty early on in the trip. They had been warned over and over that the balsa logs would get basically saturated with water and the whole thing would just sink right or the ropes would fray and the thing would fall apart uh i thought this was interesting so early on uh he says it was easy to see that the balsa logs absorbed water Uh uh-oh that's my personal addition yeah the aft crossbeam was worse than the others. On it, we could press our whole fingertip into the soaked wood till the water squelched. Mm-hmm. Without saying anything, I broke off a piece of the sodden wood and threw it overboard. It sank quietly beneath the surface and slowly vanished down into the depths. <gasps> Later, I saw two or three. Maybe of the-
0: this was a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Later, I saw two or three of the other fellows do exactly the same (laughs) when they thought no one was looking. They stood looking reverently at the waterlogged piece of wood sinking quietly into the green water.
0: I remember thinking, hmm, this this is a little terrifying.
1: Yeah. That's basically like being on a boat and breaking off a chunk of it, throwing it over. It sinks, and you're like, oh, the thing I'm on, Is going to sink.
0: Uh, Yeah. Which is one thing if you're on a lake or something where you can see land. And you can swim to shore. Yeah. (laughs) Well, speak for yourself. Uh, But if you're floating on a raft in the Pacific, you're kind of like, well, we're not going to make it. But
1: somehow, I guess they just were like, well, we're already out here.
0: Well, you can't turn that thing around.
1: No, you can't. That was a big, big issue. Yeah. There was really very little steering. And it was fascinating. They just went out. So they explained it as like nobody had had used one of these rafts for so many years. So nobody could really teach them how to use it. So it was all kind of trial and error
0: for them. Yeah, I thought they were so dumb about that. I no really testing, could no. have sworn they would go out and at least take this thing for a spin. And I would have thought... All right, I'm going to do two months. I'm going to slowly get further and further out, have them tow me back in, slowly get further and further out, tow me back in, further and further, maybe test out some of the food, test out the fishing. There was no dipping your toe in the water, so
1: to speak. They got towed out, and they were in the Humboldt Current, and they just went for it.
0: (laughs) We've talked about this a little bit, but (laughs) idiots.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're idiot savants.
0: I don't know that they were idiot savants. Amateurs. Idiot savants are like really good at something. something. These guys were.
1: You know what they were really good at? Confidence. They were really good at just like getting along and being positive.
0: It really shows you that just fake it till you make it.
1: Well, I think that's really important because no matter what your skills are, if your group doesn't get along, you're done for.
0: Oh, well, I don't think you watched The Last Dance because I didn't. Michael Jordan I all about whipped it. them no into questions. I'm championship the Last
1: Dance. mode. I'm going to watch The Last Dance, Christine. It's Sunday, Sunday evening. Thor did say, and I think this is a good point. When any one of us is thinking about assembling a crew for an adventure. hmm No storm clouds with low pressure and gusty weather held greater menace for us than the danger of psychological cloudburst among six men shut up together for months on a drifting raft. In such circumstances, a good joke was often as valuable as a life belt. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, he was like, I just need some people that are fun and can crack a joke and get along.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I do think if you're on a voyage like that, you want or any road trip, any journey, you want someone with with some ability to have conversation and have some stories. Oh, and yeah. luckily they just finished the war. They yeah. got some stories. They got some
1: stories. They didn't really know each other most of them.
0: Yeah, that's helpful. That's like so. Not only are they going Out on this raft, untested, but they're all just like shoved out on a first date show. (laughs) (laughs) And they somehow clicked. They got along. Yeah. I will give Thor
1: credit for that. Like, he may not have known what he was doing in many respects, but he could kind of gauge people and figure out like, okay. These, everyone's going to get along and we're going to do this together. And there was probably a lot of leadership involved in that too.
0: I am curious about his leadership style because you just said, I don't really know what I'm doing. And I think that can be helpful because it can be empowering to the other people of saying, yes, yeah, step up and you can try to be an expert at this thing or you can navigate or... We're all learning how to use the steering oar, so if you you got something, teach me, because I want to try to steer this raft, too. And I thought that was strange. like It took them, I don't know, two or three weeks before they learned how to steer the raft. Right,
1: yeah. I think his leadership was less about telling people how to do things and more about saying, this can be done. He had such conviction Like, imagine being out in the open water, not seeing anything except for blue sky, blue ocean for days and days and days. Yeah. But he, it sounds like he never lost faith in that it could be done.
0: Yes. And they also were navigating through the stars.
1: They talked about starting to get used to the stars. They were really navigating mostly by... The sun, I think. But.
0: Okay. Either way, they could somehow tell where they were at certain points and that they were on the right course. So I think that is empowering to a certain extent of like, oh,
1: wow, this is where We're moving.
0: Uh, <laughs>
1: I guess I was right. So what were some to you, like what were some of the scariest or like most thrilling, intense times in the book for you?
0: To be honest with you, I thought <laughs> I didn't find it thrilling. Any of it? No, I didn't find it like overly thrilling. I found it interesting, but not like thrilling. Mm-hmm. I I was kind of bummed when the parrot died,
2: and I thought it was very really sad that the that the parrot died. Yeah, well, they were
0: too. They said they all had were depressed for days. Yeah. <laughs> On land a parrot oh, is kind of fun when, yeah. you, when you hear them talking and chirping. Oh away. Kyle, don't get me started. You know I don't want to get you started on You No, I'd love a
1: parrot. We're not. But I don't a want parrot. to you know, I feel bad like keeping a winged creature inside.
0: Right. Well, they were excited about the parrot, as we all are. It's bright oh. color. Talk about being happy and positive! A parrot is like a symbol of silliness. It spoke Spanish. (laughs) It spoke Spanish. One of the parts I found interesting, or maybe a common theme that came up, is that the sea provides. It just seemed like all these things lined up perfectly for it to accidentally work one way or the other. So the logs were taking on water, but then stopped partway because there was sap in the middle because they were fresh cut logs. The ropes dug into the balsal wood and became stronger and held the raft more together as opposed to fraying and falling apart. There was seaweed growing on the bottom of the raft that they could eat. Fish were just jumping and falling on the raft. And I just thought... Breakfast
1: in bed. Actually, that actually happened, right? One of the flying fish went into someone's sleeping bag.
0: Yeah, I don't know what time of day it was. Might have been breakfast, (laughs) might have been night.
1: (laughs) Midnight snack.
0: (laughs) It did strike me as I was reading it, as long as you stay on the raft, it's kind of hard to die of like the classic things like starvation or dehydration. You would think those would be the two big ones other than drowning. And it just seemed like the... The sea was providing so much or the part yeah. about like just scooping up plankton and cooking that and it's filled with shrimp or cr- I, I don't eat even plankton,
1: know. Though. I think it could be a really interesting food source if it's not filled with microplastics.
0: Let's not get on a tangent okay. here.
1: Well, I do wonder if someone were to take this trip at this moment, like what they would see, because they made a point of saying they didn't see a single ship. All they saw were fish and like now, would you see trash? Oh,
0: yeah. I ran into an island of garbage. Yeah. An island of plastic. There's
1: islands of garbage out there.
0: Right. Anyway, that's what struck me is that the sea provided every. And when he was saying that, I thought, okay, this trip can be done or could have been done by the native Peruvians.
2: Right.
1: Because while they were on the open sea, they could fish and.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, and also it's uh he, he theorized that the native Peruvians had been doing this with a fleet of rafts, not just one. And I thought, yeah, OK, I could see a whole fleet of rafts out there making it together, I guess. He was kind of wrong. Yes, he was wrong. But I'm saying as I was reading it, he was kind of wrong. We don't know. We don't he, really he know. He was
1: brain, most definitely wrong. <laughs> but that's not the point. The, we weren't reading this book for the anthropological theory. We were reading it for the adventure.
0: I took it as fact.
1: And that is something that I had to separate from some of the book because there is some, there is some language in here that was not
0: kosher. Well, it was the 40s. Yeah. There was a lot that wasn't kosher in the 40s. No. It was racist. Oh, you mean his whole theory?
1: Uh, The part
0: about uh, the white Peruvians. That
1: was weird. I didn't get it. I was confused by it. But apparently, the more I looked into it, and it makes sense, like people in that time were so befuddled. I should I should say white people in In the 1940s in the 40s yeah and earlier we're so uh, mystified by how Polynesians could have traveled
0: navigated that
1: whole area that whole expanse and so they were trying to come up with explanations and I guess his explanation was that oh there was a white god who did it and a white some white race gave this- them the
0: tools and the knowledge to do this and that's just like oh yeah well, <laughs> <laughs> he framed it into a context he could understand
1: yeah it was and and I was so confused by it I was lot I just kind of glossed
0: over that initially he said the the poly- the Easter Island statues had very white features so it was the it was pre-Inca. Oh, so problematic. And the the white Peruvians went to Polynesia on these Makes rafts. Makes sense. That's when I was like, wait, what's, what's, <laughs> what? what is this? And this was like halfway through the book.
1: Yeah. I mean, he kind of wrote it also for a white audience. So it feels weird to say, like, as you're reading, he talks about our race and our own race. And that, that felt kind of icky here we are recommending this book to our friends and family that are of various races and backgrounds and cultures. And it's like, oh, shit, that's icky.
0: Well, I'd never read the book before. I didn't know what it contained. Uh,
1: That's true. Okay, so we're coming up with uh, a little bit of an update addendum. So something to correct the... Uh, misdeeds misconceptions of this book we are living in 2020 this book it's was nice to
0: be aware of the con- context yes and this and-
1: book was written in 1946 so now we can say and maybe it could have been said at the time but it can be said much more easily now that there are other theories other people in fact um there's well Contiki was on all these lists as one of the best adventure stories of all time. There's actually a book called Hawaii Rising Mm -hmm. about Polynesian and Micronesian explorers using navigational tools, historical navigational tools to go around the Polynesian Triangle and visit every single island using traditional methods. Thor did kind of mention this in the book too, that there were um, navigational skills uh, demonstrated by the Polynesians, but for some reason, he decided that it could on- that the Polynesian islands could only have been populated by the East because of this like lazy drift theory. Oh shit, I said lazy, but I think that's he mentioned it why can't
0: you say lazy?
1: Well, is "lazy"
0: a problematic word now
1: when it's used to describe non-white people?
0: No, these are the white Peruvians that were using the lazy drift. It's okay. It's so confusing. Wait, so white people can be called lazy? Yes, without without issue. Why don't white
1: people are lazy? Why don't we just
0: go? We read a book about a guy who hand built a raft and <laughs> yeah, and lazily floated across. the But Pacific. then they just
1: yeah, they're like, "We're not gonna learn how to navigate.
0: <laughs> yeah. We're
1: not gonna learn how to steer."
0: This was the ultimate story of white privilege. We'll get it.
1: We'll get there. And okay, I I mean, was it was it luck?
0: I guess. Well, that's was what it I said. That the the they sea provides.
1: No, but what? even landing. In On an island.
0: What do you mean, was it luck? Well, there's a certain amount of luck, yes. They could
1: have easily drifted beyond and then never made it.
0: Right, they would have floated to Africa, and then he would have come up no, with they a would near, have died. new theory. Has there been scientific evidence that has shown that Peruvians never floated across the Pacific?
1: It hasn't been disproved, but the overwhelming scientific evidence is that people from Asia and Southeast Asia migrated to Polynesia. Right. And it's through linguistics, it's through these like really interesting pottery shards that have been found. Um
0: good. Let's dive into the pottery shards. <laughs> Something exciting. And,
1: you know, this Hawaii rising book, it shows that people had the tools and capabilities to navigate against the wind. That was what he thought couldn't be done and that, you know, it was more of a drift.
0: Conversely, has it been proven that the Polynesians went to Peru and back and, you know... That's
1: probably more likely. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Here I am, theorizing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, wow. Okay, scientists. Something I thought was a recurring theme in the preparation was that people told him he was crazy just for yeah, doing it. because he was. He was crazy. No. That's not
1: necessarily a bad thing. You're but saying
0: he was crazy. Yeah. That's like saying Neil Armstrong was crazy. Yeah. You're saying Neil Armstrong. Yeah. Was crazy. crazy.
1: It's crazy. I mean, he talked about it himself, about like... It was kind of crazy about, he talked about getting in the little dinghy and getting a distance from the raft and looking at the raft and everyone having a good yuck, just like laughing at how Loon is uh, right. crazy Right, and then they, they made
0: the next guys go out and yeah. have a good silly <laughs> laugh about it too.
1: I mean, what a great, what a great attitude.
0: Right, that is a great attitude. Also, they were bored out of their minds probably at that yeah. point. Yeah,
1: yeah. But I it's think. Like the outside looking in.
0: The idea that people were constantly saying he's crazy, he's crazy, just at the idea of doing it. Yes, maybe crazy, but I also had the feeling like, why do you care? Why, why does everyone care so much if he does this or not? Like the people that he encountered, everyone that was trying to talk him out of it. Because it
1: kind of, of disrupts their, uh, their view of the world, maybe. In what way? Well, for the anthropologists that were naysaying, they're like, well, you know, like this can't be done because then it would call into question all of our beliefs or understandings. Right. For the nautical experts, the shippers or, you know, the, the Navy people, they were like, this can't be done because it would throw into question what they knew about navigation and about being something being seaworthy or not like at every turn people rejected the idea because it threatened what their understanding of the world was
0: i think it threatened people on a even maybe a personal level almost maybe here's what someone said to him i believe this was i don't know one of the people in peru said to him are your parents living he asked me and when I replied in the affirmative, he looked me straight in the eyes and said in a hollow voice, full of foreboding, "Your mother and father will be very grieved when they hear of your death." Jeez. <laughs> Which I thought, "Why do you care, dude? Why do you like? Why do you need to be such a killjoy like that?"
1: He's like just—he's really just trying to scare him.
0: Well, to me, it just—that struck me as. I don't know. It's such a, like, weird thing to say to somebody.
1: Maybe they felt like they had a duty to warn them of what they thought of being, like, the definite outcome.
0: Yeah, I guess. But that's weird if it's not someone that's, like, immediate family. It's such a weird thing to to say to someone.
3: I had backpacked around europe a little bit um when i was 20 um and had a vague idea of where i was going or what my plans were or where i might stay but like i don't think it i i i don't know that i was able to even communicate where i was easily to my family and so when i got home my mom was like not exactly happy with think about that i'm only saying this because it's funny and not not to make fun of my mom, because uh, I under, I appreciate her concern now. But she she and my dad picked me up at the airport, and as we were driving out of the Logan Airport, she turns around and she goes, "I hope you had fun out there while we were at home shitting bricks." <laughs>
0: What's next? You wanted to talk about some of the positive experiences on the raft.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, there were a couple times reading this book, I don't know if you felt like this ever, but there were a couple times reading this book where I thought to myself, oh, I'd like to be on that raft.
0: Oh, no, I never thought you that. You
2: never thought that? No. Oh, I definitely did. No, I, there's no way that I would want to get on a raft and sail uh, that far in the middle of the without being, with being that far away from... I mean, they didn't see another boat the whole time they were out there.
0: I'd like to see the raft. <laughs> in a museum? I li- thought it would be... No, it'd be fun to, like, visit the raft while it's floating by boat and then say, all yeah. right, well, we'll see in a few weeks and then leave.
1: But I think if you're not on the raft the whole time, you miss out on being... So connected to the experience and the environment.
0: Oh, it's a unique experience. For That's sure. for sure. They, they walked away with something that they shared for life. Yeah. And they- it was
1: probably the highlights of their life. Have you thought of that?
0: No, I haven't thought about that.
1: Maybe we all need one huge, massive, death-defying adventure.
0: Have you had yours yet? No. I don't think you need one big adventure. <laughs> it depends on the person. So many yeah. people have different personalities, and they're not built for something like that, and that they, they would go insane. Yeah. And other people seek stuff like that out, and there's other people that are in between.
1: Okay, but let me. Okay, let me just get back to
0: the raft.
1: Pull out a few highlights that I think were kind of tempting.
0: Hit me with them.
1: The whole sea was ours, and with all the gates of the horizon open, real peace and freedom were wafted down from the firmament itself. It was as though the fresh salt tang in the air and all the blue purity that surrounded us had washed and cleansed both body and soul. Ah, doesn't that feel nice?
0: That feels nice.
1: That feels so nice
0: like i said i'm not an ocean guy but i do find sitting next to the ocean i find the waves meditative i think it is a natural rhythm and so i could see how if you're lying there under the stars and the waves are constantly going it's kind of it's nice yeah i could see how it's peaceful
3: this is what I can recommend more than any other element of traveling by sea. Not only is it gorgeous because you're just surrounded by water constantly and the waves and the movement of the ocean are beautiful, but you're you're being rocked. like it, You're like being rocked to sleep every night by the motion of the ocean. And it is amazing.
1: Another point where I was... Almost envious, like -hmm. I wanted to be on that boat, was when they started seeing more of the sea life. Oh, yeah. That does sound cool. The whales.
0: Yeah. Who doesn't want to see whales and dolphins?
1: They said, one day when we were sitting as usual on the edge of the raft, having a meal so close to the water that we had only to lean back to wash out our mugs. We started when suddenly something behind us blew hard like a swimming horse and a big whale came up and stared at us so close that we saw shine like a polished shoe down through its blowhole. It was so unusual to hear real breathing out at sea where all living creatures wriggle silently about without lungs and quiver their gills that we really had a warm family feeling for our old distant cousin, the whale who, like us, had strayed so far out to sea. Isn't that funny? Like, I I wouldn't have thought of that, but hearing this, like, this breath, Mm. being out in the ocean where only, you know, you think only people breathe, but whales are mammals too, and they're breathing. That would have been, like, uh,
0: chilling. Oh, yeah, that would have been amazing. In a good way. Uh, whales have a little more personality than fish. They just <laughs> have that that dead eye You're staring at you. are in it for the personality. Yeah, I want parrots with personality. People have personality, and whales have personality. For example, whales and dolphins, or porpoises, are known to be playful creatures. Whereas fish, right. fish, sharks—they're not known to be playful. I did think the middle of the book got a little boring. They were talking about catching sharks at one point, and they had them all laid out on the deck, which yeah. sounded like a really exciting, yeah, conceptually an exciting thing. But they just talked they about made it dragging sound so up. Easy. They made yeah, they were just pulling them up with their hands, which after a while, I th- I thought that part of the book was kind of boring. It seemed like they had reached a point on the raft where they were a little bored.
2: Oh, they were definitely bored. You know, if I had to hear one more word about a pilot fish, I think. uh, (laughs) I, I was pretty tired about all the talk about the fish, too.
1: Okay, I thought this was interesting. I think it would be pretty terrifying to be out in the ocean and not. I'm getting terrified just thinking about it and not see anything else.
0: You're getting terrified. I go on Google Maps and hover over the ocean and I start <laughs> my chest starts clenching up.
1: It's but the way he describes it, they were it was calming or almost peaceful. He says the sea curved away under us as blue upon blue as the sky above. And where they met, all the blue flowed together and became one. It almost seemed as if we were suspended in space. All our world was empty and blue. There was no fixed point in it, but the tropical sun, golden and warm, which burned our necks.
0: I think that's really nice. Yeah. And that's pretty poetic. And also, to me, it seems like being on this raft with such a simple quote-unquote, society of your six people and a parrot, there's such simplicity to it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I also was just so excited for them when they finally made it to land. I mean, the crashing on the coral reef outside of the island was really traumatic, dramatic, and scary because you didn't know how that was going to, to end. And uh, I can only imagine what it would be like to be oh, scratched by coral.
0: Oh, scratched by coral? Yeah. I thought you were going to say imagine what it would be like to be so close oh, and but- then not make it.
2: Well, I thought for sure somebody else was going to die. And, uh, and I thought, here they make it all the way there. They thought they got there really in record time. But then it took them forever to finally get to land some of it seemed almost a little bit fantastical
0: the landing
1: yeah sticking the, the landing. crash landing
0: the, the crash landing that that's scary and i'm so curious if he even knew that these islands were surrounded by coral initially or if this was another thing where they found out because they were up on the mast and they said hey yeah, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of coral over there i don't Did you know about this coral, uh, Thor? (laughs) (laughs) Thor's like,
1: there's a coral? Oh, my. I did know most islands are surrounded by the (laughs) coral. Everybody grab hold. Oh, yeah. They made this pact where they were like, everyone just grab on tight. Try and save your most precious belongings. Everyone, hold on super tight. We are not leaving the ship. We're all holding on together.
0: Right. That's that was where the teamwork and...
1: The leadership really leadership, came in, yeah. too. And they all did it.
0: I do think at that point in the journey, maybe he has proven himself as a leader. Let's just go with this idea of hanging on for dear life to this raft. Which, what else are you going to do, though, really? Yeah. You- it's the biggest thing out there. Right.
1: It makes the most sense. Yeah. It's not a crazy idea like it was to begin the trip in the first place.
0: Hey, I don't think it's crazy at all. <laughs> I well, would have supported it. They did make
1: it. it. They did make it. So imagine being on the open ocean for 101 days and then you wade across the reef towards a heavenly Palm Island and... And it grows larger. And when you reach the sunny sand beach, you slip off your shoes and thrust your bare toes down into the warm, bone dry sand.
0: You're telling you me imagine to imagine that? Imagine that. Imagine
1: yeah. that, imagine I can that imagine feeling. That. I can't, I can't, I mean, it must have been
0: so surreal. Surreal and just relaxing. I know we just talked about it being meditative out on the raft, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I think when you touch. That sand for the first time, it also has to be like, whoo
1: Yeah, it must feel very real. Right. Because when you're when you're drifting and you're bobbing on the ocean, I don't know if you've ever spent much time on the water.
0: No, my parents weren't divorced. <laughs> okay. Subtle dig. I didn't, I didn't have a boat dad.
1: Yeah, Kyle, so for Everyone listening, which is probably mostly our friends and family, uh, my parents were divorced. My dad lived on a sailboat. My dad is also Norwegian. <laughs> 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 but he lived, decided to live on a boat after my parents got divorced. And so every other weekend, my two brothers and I would go would to <laughs> this uh, God, I don't know, 38 foot, 42 foot Um Erickson sailboat, and uh, we would bob up and down all weekend. So Some- you know what
0: it's like. I
1: know what it's like. I know what the misadventures are like. I know. Uh, my dad learned a lot um, through trial and error. <laughs> <laughs> we got stuck in a sandbar once at uh, low tide. That was terrifying. See,
0: that sounds like an
1: adventure. It, Not a, min-
0: uh, a misadventure. Yes,
1: we sailed around uh, every once in a while, but a lot of it was in a at port, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> anyway,
0: <laughs> anyway, <laughs> go on.
1: Back to the book at hand. Okay, so Thor says, and I completely get this, he says, I was completely overwhelmed. I sank down on my knees and thrust my fingers deep down into the dry, warm sand. The voyage was over. We were all alive.
0: Yeah, what an amazing feeling. Yeah. And, and actually, when you just said that, I thought, dry, dry. Dry. To touch something dry.
1: Yeah. For the
0: first time in a hundred days. I think that's crazy.
1: I Just the concept of dry. I take dry for granted. Uh, And that is what one of the one of the crew people said bent. He said purgatory was a bit damp. But heaven is more or less as I'd imagined it.
0: Ah, okay, yeah, Palm Tree Island isn't that what everybody? Yeah, coconuts—they're
1: cracking open coconuts. They get visitors from a nearby island. They get taken to this fancy feast, and uh, people are dancing and singing, and so welcoming.
0: When they landed on this island, I kind of thought, "What next?" Yeah, this is a whole another adventure. And he didn't really explain what the plan was. Uh, nope. Once they got there, I don't there. think they had a plan. I think they got they had to hook up the radio and dry it out and send a signal, like, "Okay, yeah, Dad, that's true, Daddy Norway, come pick <laughs> us up."
1: <laughs> so they did have they did have this uh, radio on board and. They communicated with people from, as it turns out, all around the world.
0: That's another thing I thought was weird. And I I don't know how the radios worked back then or now, for that matter. <laughs> I don't, don't know how radios work, but it seemed like they didn't have a plan of who they were going to communicate they with. They just
1: put it out into the ether and someone picked it up. A lot of times it was people in L.A., Actually, right, amateur right. radio folks in LA who picked up the signal were very suspicious when people said, we're uh, six men on a raft and who God knows where. Uh, send a message back to Lilliputin or whatever. Lillihammer, sorry. Lilliputin. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that we're okay. Right. Uh, that seemed ah. insane. Again, all it now that you... Say all that. It does seem too lucky. Oh, yeah. Very, very lucky. Too lucky.
1: Should we wrap it up?
0: Yeah, let's wrap this up. I think we've summarized the book, and I, I don't know that that's uh, what we wanted to do, but... Yeah. I don't know. I've, babe, I've never been in a book club before. I don't know what goes on at these things. We just I talk just, about the books. I see you go with plates of food, Yeah, and I see you read for a month. So I don't know what happens with a book club. Is this your
1: first book club?
0: This is my first book club.
1: Wow. It's Kyle's first book club.
0: This is the first book club I've also founded and co-founded.
1: It's not a company. It's not like you get You don't
0: found a you create a book club? I mean What do you do? Yeah. Well, somebody needs to have a leadership role for a book club to happen.
1: Okay, so what happened after this book ended? Like we have the benefit of like knowing what happened. So I what
0: don't know happened? what happened. You told me a little bit.
1: Thor achieved his goal.
0: Did he? He achieved, he made it.
1: He made it. He at
0: least created speculation probably. He
1: proved it was possible. He
0: wrote a book about it. It became a bestseller for like a year. Yeah. And people assumed that this was truth. Because he did make it.
1: Not only was it a bestseller, the book, but he also, throughout the voyage, was filming. And they made a documentary. This documentary won Best Film, Best Documentary Film, in 1954.
0: And then there was a 2012 movie that everybody watched instead of reading the book. <laughs> and
1: and that that movie, by the way... Was okay. First of all, the cover image of that movie is him and his wife. It makes it seem like there's going to be some whole romantic love have story. You got a Bay
0: story in a movie, babe.
1: Ugh. I think he mentioned his wife a handful of times. In I don't book.
0: remember him mentioning his wife at all.
1: Apparently, she was helping him. So his uh, okay. son said that the wife, uh, his the son's mother, and Thor's a wife was. She flew to New York to help him raise funds and prepare. And the two sons were in boarding school for a year and a half. while. Well, so.
0: Oh, this does sound like a 1940s story. A wife does a bunch of work and gets no credit. Yeah, this checks out. No
1: credit. This no checks credit. out. But she did feature more prominently in the movie as an annoyed wife being like, <laughs> Where's my husband? I, get home. You gotta. I'm here dealing with the kids all by myself. Uh, the movie. I mean, the movie was okay.
0: Hey, we're not here to talk about the movie. I didn't love the book.
1: I didn't love the book either.
0: <laughs> but I think we didn't love it for different reasons. I think you're feeling white guilt. No, like up to don't the even
1: don't even say white guilt to me because it's not white guilt. It's just me understanding the truth and bringing the truth to
0: it oh you're concerned well i didn't enjoy the entertainment value as much as i would have liked
1: yeah i mean it was a little something we didn't really talk about but the book was a little goofy
0: i didn't find it goofy it was kind of
1: funny like it was very norwegian humor which is Bad humor. Gotta be the worst type of
0: Very humor. Very
1: bad humor. Like, he gets a real yuck about a flying fish going into someone's sleeping bag at night. He gets Oh, a- that's not
0: Norwegian humor. That's <laughs> physical comedy. <laughs> and that's the only evergreen type of comedy. He
1: gets a real yuck about taking a piss off the back of the ship and getting whapped in the back by a dolphin. Was now that you're saying the all these things out loud, <laughs> they do sound hilarious. The parrot giving them... I mean, like, it, it just sounded like a lot of uh, fun and hijinks. So, Kyle, how would you rate this book on a scale of 1 to 5 stars?
0: 1 to 5, I'm giving it a 3.5. I liked the concept okay. of the adventure. Mm-hmm. I think I thought I actually enjoyed the planning stage. I did, too, a bit more than I thought. Because I liked that he was pushing for. There were a lot of obstacles for yeah. him to deal with, yeah. which I think makes things interesting. Whereas actually when they got the raft going, it seemed like, yeah, it took a couple weeks of getting used to. And there were some obstacles, but after that- It was too easy going. Too easy. Then they yeah. were just, they were floating, and I got a little sleepy in the middle. It yeah. T- I, I thought the part about the plankton was interesting, but it mm-hmm. right around page 150, I was like, all right, let's get to the other side of the world here.
1: Yeah. Maybe at the time, maybe back in the 40s, it would have seemed more novel, but I for don't know. For sure.
0: For sure. They didn't even have TV yet.
1: Right, right. The phosphorescence. Oh, that was my best, part, my favorite part in the movie, too. And the part, like, the part, something that I would like to see in real life is all that phosphorescence in the ocean mm-hmm. and seeing how alive the ocean is.
0: That would be say. totally cool. I would, so cool. I would say that's akin maybe to the Aurora, Aurora Borealis. Borealis. Right. Yeah. But, Three point five. What would you give it?
1: I think it's probably overrated in terms Whoa, of shots fired. Haha. In terms of um, it being included in all of these best adventures of all time lists,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, just because now I'm really curious about Hawaii Keep Rising. Maybe this should take the place of Kontiki.
0: This isn't a raft book podcast. I
1: know, I know, but can I just can I just read you a little bit of Hawaii Rising? Just not even a bit of the book, but the forward. It already is better than than the entire Kontiki.
0: The entire Kontiki, yeah, because it
1: has more purpose. Okay, so. The canoe that they used to sail around the Polynesian islands was called the Hokulea. Our canoe, Hokulea, and our dreams have now carried us over 150,000 miles of ocean, following in the wake of our ancestors who discovered and settled Polynesia. It has been a process of finding ourselves not only as Hawaiians, as native to these islands, but also as native to planet Earth. On all of our voyages, we have been guided by the wisdom of our elders, our kapuna, among them my father, Myron Pinky Thompson, who understood that voyaging is a process in which we are guided by values that are universal. Before our ancestors set out to find a new island, my father told me, they had to have a vision of that island over the horizon. They made a plan for achieving that vision. They prepared themselves physically and mentally and were willing to experiment, to try new things. They took risks, and on the voyage they bound each other with aloha so they could together overcome those risks and achieve their vision. You find these same values throughout the world, he said. Seeking, planning, experimenting, taking risks, and caring for each other. The same principles that we used in the past are the ones that we use today. You find these same values throughout the world, he said. Seeking, planning, experimenting, taking risks, and caring for each other. The same principles that we used in the past are the ones that we use today, and that we will use into the future. No matter what race we are or what culture we carry, these are values that work for us all. I love that.
0: Yeah, that's great. I, I think Thor would hear that too. I, I think so. Probably too. Yeah. agree with probably. the whole thing. Yeah. So. So. What is your score?
1: My score.
0: Jeez, oh, this is a lot of
1: drum roll is a flat 3.
0: Flat 3. Now, when I finished the book, yeah. I said it was a 3 and you were like, "A 3? No." After you finished and you gave it you gave it a 4 and it's been a couple weeks and now so I went up a little bit. I went mm-hmm. up a little bit cuz mm-hmm. I said, "Okay, maybe I don't know how to we rate a book." We don't have to be in alignment. I know, but now your score is lower. <laughs> You took my score. Well, I just hope this book
1: get, book club gets better. You know, let's let's read some good
0: books. I thought it was fine. <laughs> thought three. it was a fine, interesting so, book.
1: Between the two of us, three point two five.
0: Three point two five. We okay. can do quarter stars. Okay. Should we announce our next book?
1: Yes. Let's do it. You do it. Okay. So <laughs> once again, I chose this book. Um. So send your accolades or complaints to me. The next book, we're going to flash forward a few decades from the 1940s to the 1970s. And we're also going to move regions down to Australia for Tracks by Robin Davidson. This is about a woman who decides she's going to take a trek across Western Australia with some camels and her dog.
0: I like dogs.
1: I love dogs.
0: Okay. I well, love
1: animals. I don't know about camels, though.
0: Anyway, we would love to have you all participate in the book club, so be sure to email us comments or thoughts about any of the stories or what we talk about. Or if you have any suggestions for books, you can send us an email at blackgoldcabin at gmail.com.
1: Yeah, we're open to feedback. And uh, if you want to be featured in our next podcast, make sure you mention that in your email or your mm, text or phone call to us. And we'd love to get your voice on the podcast.
0: Yeah. Not just their voice, their opinion.
1: Oh, yeah. That, that's worth more than a voice. So join us.
0: Bye.